time for another episode of Library Gals Go to the Library, where your favorite bookworms give our recommendations from the Delaware County District Library. So don't worry, we'll help you find something new to get lost in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We are here with another episode of Library Gals. Go to the library, and we are so happy to be back in the booth with book recommendations for the month of May. May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, so we have top picks for new releases by Asian authors. The first title we'll recommend is Siren Queen by Ni Vo. No maids, no funny talking, no fainting flowers. Luli Wei is beautiful, talented, and desperate to be a star. Coming of age in pre-code Hollywood, she knows how dangerous the movie business is and how limited the roles are for a Chinese-American girl from Hungarian Hill. But she doesn't care. She'd rather play a monster than a maid. But in Luli's world, the worst monsters in Hollywood are not the ones on screen. The studios want to own everything from her face to her name to the women she loves, and they run on a system of bargains made in blood and ancient magic, powered by the endless sacrifice of unlucky starlets like her. For those who do survive to earn their fame, success comes with a steep price. Luli is willing to do whatever it takes, even if that means becoming the monster herself. This title is On Order... So it should be here in the library soon, but you're able to put that title on hold if that sounds like a good one to you. Again, the author's name is Ni Vo, V-O. Next up, we have City of Orange by David Yoon. A man who cannot remember his own name wakes up in an apocalyptic landscape, injured and alone. He has vague memories of life before, but he can't see it clearly and can't grasp how his current situation came to be. He must learn to survive by finding sources of water and foraging for food. Then he encounters a boy, and he realizes nothing is what he thought it was, neither the past nor the present. City of Orange is a novel that is both harrowing and heartfelt, charged with a speculative energy but grounded in intimate character study. It is a novel about coming to grips with the worst that has befallen us and finding our way home again. This is adult fiction, and it's mostly sci-fi. You'll find that under the author's last name of Yoon. That's on order. You can request that one today as well. Next up, we have Zachary Ying and the Dragon Emperor by Jiran Zhe Zhao. Zachary Ying never had many opportunities to learn about his Chinese heritage. His single mom was busy enough making sure they got by, and his schools never taught anything except Western history and myths. So Zach is woefully unprepared when he discovers he was born to host the spirit of the first emperor of China for a vital mission, sealing the leaking portal to the Chinese underworld before the upcoming ghost month blows it wide open. The mission takes an immediate wrong turn when the first emperor botches his attempt to possess Zack's body and binds to Zack's AR gaming headset instead, leading to a battle where Zack's mom's soul gets taken by demons. Now, with one of history's most infamous tyrants yapping in his headset, Zack must journey across China to heist magical artifacts and defeat figures from history and myth, all while learning to wield the emperor's incredible water dragon powers. 
And if Zack can't finish the mission in time, the spirits of the underworld will flood into the mortal realm and he could lose his mom forever. This book is juvenile fiction. It is a fantasy novel. That one's good for the kiddos. And that, again, is written by author Jiran Zhe Zhao. Next up, we have Flip the Script by Lila Lee. The first rule of watching K-dramas, never fall in love with the second lead. As an avid watcher of K-dramas, Hannah knows all the tropes to avoid when she finally lands a starring role in a buzzy new drama. And she can totally handle her fake co-star boyfriend who might be falling in love with her. After all, she promised the producers a contract romance, and that's all they're going to get from her. But when showrunners bring on a new girl to challenge Hannah's role as main and love interest, and worse, it's someone Hannah knows all too well, can Hannah fight for her position on the show while falling for her on-screen rival in real life? K-drama lovers will fall for all the fan-favorite tropes that make for a hit show. Romance is everywhere in this swoony, joy-filled novel with fake dating, a secret romance, and a classic love triangle. This book is a young adult romance, and that is Flip the Script by Lila Lee, for all you K-drama fans out there. And finally, we have Four Aunties and a Wedding by Jesse Q. Sutanto. Medi Chan has been to countless weddings, but she never imagined how her own would turn out. Now the day has arrived, and she can't wait to marry her college sweetheart, Nathan. Instead of having Ma and the aunts cater her wedding, Medi wants them to enjoy the day as guests. As a compromise, they find the perfect wedding vendors, a Chinese-Indonesian family-run company just like theirs. Medi is hesitant at first, but she hits it off right away with the wedding photographer, Stephanie, who reminds Medi of herself, down to the unfortunately misspelled name. Medi realizes that that is where their similarities end, however, when she overhears Stephanie talking about taking out a target. It turns out Stephanie and her family are the family, actual mafia, and they're using Medi's wedding as a chance to take out a target. Her aunties and mother won't let Medi's wedding ceremony become a murder scene over their dead bodies and will do whatever it takes to save her special day, even if it means taking on the mafia. If this sounds interesting to you, you can start with Dial A for Aunties, the first in the series. These books are a ton of fun. That is Four Aunties and a Wedding by Jesse Q. Sutanto. That is an adult fiction book available for reserve now. These summaries are all from Goodreads and the library catalog. If you need any help searching for any of these titles or requesting any of them, please give us a call at any of our Delaware Library branches. We'd be happy to help you out. These books often are also available as ebooks or audiobooks through our Libby app. If you have any questions about accessing ebooks or any digital services, please contact the library. We are happy to help you with that. All right, and we are going to jump into a couple of book reviews. I'm going to review one of my favorite things, a cookbook, and we also have a guest here. We have Joy joining us. Joy is with our Outreach Services Department, and Joy is the Adult Programming Specialist. Hi, Joy. Hi, Katie. I'm glad you asked me to be here today. It's so awesome to have you here. So I'm going to do a quick plug for a cookbook that I really loved recently. It is called To Asia with Love by Hetty McKinnon. 
And it says that the for best-selling cookbook author Hetty McKinnon, Asian cooking is personal. McKinnon grew up in a home filled with the aromas, sights, and sounds of her Chinese mother's cooking. These days, she strives to recreate those memories for her own family and yours with traditional dishes prepared in non-traditional ways. It's a sumptuous collection of creative vegetarian dishes featuring pan-Asian dishes that anyone can prepare using supermarket ingredients. Readers will learn how to make their own kimchi, chili oil, knife-cut noodles, and dumplings. They'll learn about the wonder that is rice and discover how Asian-inspired salads are the ultimate crossover food. McKinnon offers tips for stocking your modern Asian pantry and explores the role that sweetness plays in Asian cultures. Her recipes are a celebration of the exciting and delicious possibilities of modern Asian cooking. From smashed cucumber salad with tahini and spicy oil and finger-licking good edamame beans with fried curry leaves. Featuring big, powerful flavors created from simple, fresh ingredients, these recipes are firmly rooted in the place where East meets West and where tradition charts the journey to the modern kitchen. I really loved this cookbook. Uh, I love cooking, and I love just browsing through cookbooks. I love reading them. I sometimes will take a cookbook home and never make a recipe out of them, <laughs> but this one I did. I made a few things. I still have some of the spicy. It was a ginger scallion oil that we have in our fridge that we use for a lot of different dishes, which is nice. And one of the things that was in here that I really enjoyed was just a dumpling salad, where you made a mixed green salad and then put dumplings either homemade or frozen. And I just never would have thought. To put dumplings on a salad, and it worked. It was really good.、Um, this was a book that I had out and just learned a lot of things about Asian cooking and a lot of those flavors. And it's one that I want to revisit and make some more things out of. And I love the recipe for kimchi. It intimidates me so much. It looks like it's really hard to make, but there's actually a great section in、uh, the book that you're going to talk about about、um, kimchi and. The the kind of the specialness that it has in Asian cooking. So, Joy is here to talk to us about a book that she's chosen, and as I've said earlier, we're celebrating Asian American American Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so, what book are you here to talk about, Joy? Ah,、uh, well, I have chosen.、Um, In honor of Asian Pacific American Islander <laughs> Heritage Month, thank you. Mouthful, <laughs>、uh-huh. um, Crying H Mart by Michelle Zoner, and it is、uh, tied to the Korean culture, as you were mentioning kimchi.、Mm-hmm. And Michelle Zoner、uh, is well known for being the、uh, lead singer and guitarist of an indie pop band called Japanese Breakfast. So even before she became famous for Crying in H Mart,、uh, she was. Uh, a musician out there, kind of making a name for herself, and I think she was even nominated for some Grammys this particular year. Yeah, so, yeah,、um, very talented. Mm-hmm, definitely. Mm-hmm. And、um, what did you think of the book? You know, it was a memoir, and it had a difficult topic to deal with. So I enjoyed. The insights that it provided, but the topic was a little difficult. But I think people could really relate to it on a lot of levels, from a cultural perspective.、Um, Michelle Zoner's mother it,、uh, 
she passes of cancer in this book, but she was from Korea originally. Mm -hmm. And her father is uh, American, probably of European mix. And she grew up in Eugene, Oregon, and then went to school out on the East Coast at Bryn Mawr in Philadelphia. And she and her mom kind of had a troubled relationship because her mom's expectations were, you know, that she would fill this sort of ideal in what her her mom's mind was, which was very kind of informed by her Korean culture and her Michelle wanting to be a musician didn't really, those expectations were not met. So they kind of clashed heads in the teenage years, which I think even under non-cultural conflict circumstances, mothers and daughters kind of go through that period. Absolutely. So you can relate to it even on that point uh, from that perspective. For sure. Um, did you read the book or did you listen to it on audio? Um, I mostly read it, but I sometimes do like kind of intersperse them because mm-hmm. sometimes if I'm driving, I just listen and then, you know, sometimes I have to index where did I leave off. But um, did you listen to it or did you read? I listened to it uh-huh. and it was it was really good. So Michelle Zahner does narrate the audiobook, and it was good to hear her perspective, although it's hard to listen to some of the chapters when she's talking about her mother's dying, some of her last moments are very painful as as you can imagine and so it was hard to listen to her read those sections but it's also one of those books where I couldn't imagine another person narrating it you know having having the author read it and and express those moments was really um powerful yes um so I had talked about a cookbook earlier and this crying in H Mart uh is very specifically about food um can you tell our listeners what H Mart is uh sure so H Mart is an Asian grocery store chain and it started in 1982 actually in Queens New York and uh not just just an Asian grocery. It specifically focuses on Korean foods. Like there, mm. I actually I had an opportunity to go to Chicago because my son lives there, and I went to the H Mart there because I was reading this book, and it was my mission to do that. Cool. And, um, so they're like, there's a whole wall of just kimchi and a whole wall of just seaweed snacks, and so you really, if you love Asian food, I could spend an hour or two in there just like browsing through there. Um, but uh, H stands uh, for it's a Korean phrase. I think I put it in here. It's, yeah. Uh, Han Ruem, which means arms full in Korean. Oh, cool. Hopefully I haven't said anything wrong and offended people who know Korean. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. We're trying, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's. it's really interesting to go into... Um, I don't think I've ever been to into a Korean grocery store, but to go into, you know, Asian grocery stores, there are a couple around that are completely different. And, you know, the labels are often in different languages and... Just being able to explore entirely new condiments and snacks and, yes. and things that you have never tried before. That's really cool. Did you buy anything when you were there? I did. I actually was geeking out and I Googled what to buy at H Mart and the top 10 items. And so some of them were perishable items, so I couldn't bring them back in my suitcase. But I did buy some of the recommended ramen. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a nice little cookware section. So just pretty chopsticks or little sauce bowls for your soy sauce. Oh, cool. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. But there is an Asian grocery called Saraga on Morse Road. Have you been there? I have been there, yes. It's a little bit of a cultural experience. It's really, um, and things are in English but spelled wrong, but that adds to the charm. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite dish? Have you you eaten much Korean food before? Uh, Well, I do like um, bibimbap. Okay. Which I know bibimbap, the chain is sort of a play on that, but it's not that. Right. And and Korean food, uh, bulgogi. Mm -hmm. And there's a place in... Off of Sawmill and uh, Bethel Road that they do, it's um, like 
a special sea. They mention it in here. Okay. Uh, in Crying Age Mart, it's a sea a tofu stew. It's Yum. a spicy tofu stew. Oh, that sounds good. Yes. And they have a special dessert. I think every Asian culture has their own version of some type of uh, shaved ice bean syrup with milk or cream poured over it Ooh. type dessert. And um, it's in Korean, it's bingsu. And we found a place that actually serves it. Oh, it's really? really? Yes. Oh, how uh-huh. cool. Oh, that's awesome. I'm a little bit of an Asian food nerd, so I seek out my places. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. So your cookbook, I'm going to have to look yes, that up. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I, I highly recommend it. It was uh-huh. a good one. And it makes all of those foods that you think uh, that might be intimidating to make, it makes it much easier and accessible. Even if you're not able to make it to one of the Asian grocery stores, just some things you can buy, you know, in mm-hmm. Kroger or wherever yes. you are locally. So it's really, really mm-hmm. cool. And it, you feel adventurous when you go into the realm of, of Asian cooking, which is great. Uh-huh. Um, what else did you enjoy about the book? Do you want to share anything else about it that you liked? Or were there uh-huh. anything was there anything in it that you want to mention to, to the folks here? Um, you know, I did have a quote toward the end of the book when the, Michelle's dealing with her mom has already passed and what she meant to her and having to kind of reconcile what her relationship was. So I guess maybe to just sort of provide a little background. Her mom was uh, terminally ill with cancer, and she had uh, left school to be back in Eugene, Oregon with her to nurse her through this really, you know, chemo and all the, the mm-hmm. that. And so this is a part where she's actually passed, and she's kind of coming to terms with what um, her mom meant to her. And really, I guess crying in H Mart, I should say, is it's her touchstone to her mother and to her Korean culture. And there's a little bit of conflict um, in her own growing up years trying to make sense of her identity. Um, all right, this is, um, I'm reading from the large print version. Great. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is Michelle Zahner uh, speaking about her mom after she's passed. She was my champion. She was my archive. She had taken the utmost care to preserve the evidence of my existence and growth, capturing me in images, saving all my documents and possessions. She had all the knowledge of my being memorized. The time I was born, my unborn cravings, the first book I read, the formation of every characteristic, every ailment and little victory. She observed me with unparalleled interest, inexhaustible devotion. Now that she was gone, there was no one left to ask about these things. The knowledge left unrecorded died with her. What remained were documents and my memories, and now it was up to me to make sense of myself, aided by the signs she left behind. How cyclical and bittersweet for a child to retrace the images of their mother, for the subject to turn back to document their archivist. That's really nice. It is interesting because they did have such a volatile relationship but that she obviously appreciated their their relationship and the way that she's processing her mom not being around anymore and that's something i think universal for mm-hmm. for many people that that your mom is the first one to know you and and michelle says that so eloquently yes. thank you for sharing that yes. that's beautiful An exhaustible devotion <sighs> yeah absolutely and maybe it's when you're losing somebody you really appreciate them if you think you still have a lifetime to work through conflicts or to try and bridge that gap in understanding but 
the time was short, and she really just put her life on hold and had to process through that grief. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And what comes out of it is just a really wonderful book that I think we both recommend. Would you recommend it? Highly recommend. Yes, yeah. lots to relate to. Um, whether you're Asian American or just a mom and daughter relationship, and just so much there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so you're reading this with a book group as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about your book group? Sure. Uh, the name of my book group is called Around the World in Books and Bites. And the reason we call it that is because we choose stories that are set in other parts of the world. And then we go to a restaurant of that ethnic food um, pairing uh, and we discuss our book there. So we're going to be meeting at Aladdin's Eatery in June. Mm -hmm. We're now coming back to meeting in person, which is something we've been long awaiting. And uh, we're reading a book that uh, is called... Uh, a Thousand Splendid Sons by Khalid Hosseini. Mm. So it is set in Afghanistan, but I couldn't find any Afghanistani food in our oh, area. So yeah. this is the close, close similarity. So, mm-hmm. But yes. Excellent. And are you also reading Crying, Crying in H Mart with the group? Or when does that meet? Um, that is next month, May okay. 23rd. And so that is our last book we're doing just virtual. Got but it. then starting June, we'll be meeting in restaurants again. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So if you want to join the Crying in H Mart discussion, that'll be online through Zoom and then back to person and restaurants for was it a thousand splendid stuns? Yeah, yes. Or okay, because mm-hmm. the author also wrote the Kite Runner, right? Yes. Uh, those are both wonderful books. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much, Joy, for joining us. It was great to have you. Well, thank you, Katie. And I'm checking out your cookbook. All right, <laughs> sounds good. It was so nice to have Joy here to talk about crying in H Mart. That is again by Michelle Zahner. And we are really hoping you enjoy that one. If you read it, please let us know what you think. Finally today, we're going to have a review from Via. Via listened to the audiobook Revival, written by Stephen King and narrated by David Morse. In a small New England town over half a century ago, a shadow falls over a small boy playing with his toy soldiers. Jamie Morton looks up to see a striking man, the new minister. Charles Jacobs, along with his beautiful wife, will transform the local church. The men and boys are all a bit in love with Mrs. Jacobs. The women and girls feel the same about Reverend Jacobs, including Jamie's mother and beloved sister Claire. With Jamie, the Reverend shares a deeper bond based on a secret obsession. When tragedy strikes the Jacobs family, this charismatic preacher curses God, mocks all religious belief, and is banished from the shock town. Jamie has demons of his own. Wed to his guitar from the age of 13, he plays in bands across the country, living the nomadic lifestyle of bar band rock and roll while fleeing from his family's horrific loss. In his mid-30s, addicted to heroin, stranded, desperate, Jamie meets Charles Jacobs again, with profound consequences for both men. Their bond becomes a pact beyond even the devil's devising, and Jamie discovers that revival has many meanings. This rich and disturbing novel spans five decades on its way to the most terrifying conclusion. Via says, this book is not what I expected, but I mean that in a really good way. There was not as many horror elements up front throughout the story as I expected, but the ending packs a whopper. First of all, this book felt more like King's older books to me, so I was surprised to see it was actually published as late as 2014. 
I've said before that I hate clowns, and there is no way I would have ever watched it had Stephen King not been an amazing character writer because the story of the losers is so beautiful and heartbreaking. And they are all so lovable that the story could have been just a drama without the clown, and I would have loved it. That's how I felt about Revival, too. This book is a slow burn, but I was intrigued and invested in the characters the entire time for a book that spans five decades. Jamie starts as a young, innocent, religious boy, and we go through his life as he gets his first girlfriend, becomes a musician, gets addicted to drugs, becomes middle-aged. Charles Jacobs becomes this mysterious presence because his lifetime only is shown when they meet. It's much more told through Jamie's eyes, which adds to the suspense behind what is happening to Charles Jacobs and what he is up to. The times where Jamie and Charles Jacobs are separate and going about their lives are rich with complexity and help build the story to its end. Then the parts with them together are electrifying and in the beginning of the book, warming, but in the later half, sinister. The horror that comes at the end has foreshadowing sprinkled very subtly throughout the book, and you can get an inkling of what it will involve as you wait for things to go wrong. But I never saw the ending coming. This has been said by many fans to be the scariest King ending, and while I agree it's one of the freakiest, I think it's also because it catches you so off guard to compare it to the normalcy of the rest of the book. The only thing about this book I didn't love was the ant description at the end of the book. And I don't know if it was meant to be more literal or physical, but if I treat it as a metaphor, it works way better for me. I highly recommend it, though. For someone who was raised religious and isn't anymore, there were a lot of emotions and debates the characters went through that, I, that Via could relate to. Director Mike Flanagan, who has directed a couple of King's works, including Dr. Sleep, the sequel to The Shining, and Gerald's Game, also Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and Midnight Mass... He was set to adapt Revival into a movie, but it ended up not happening, and Midnight Mass went through instead. Although both have troubled male leads and a pastor figure going sort of head-to-head, they are very different stories. I think Mike Flanagan can relate to those religious elements that King often used in his works, and that's part of why he does so well with his adaptations. He understands the works and has similar themes in his own original scripts. I'm a big fan of Flanagan, so I was super bummed out that he was going to, wasn't going to do the adaptation. I would have actually had faith in it, and I don't know if anyone else would adapt it as well. I don't think many other directors could do it justice. Thanks, Via. That was a great review. I listened to Revival as well, and I add my own recommendation to that one. Give it a try if you want a spooky audiobook for these coming summer months. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next time on Library Gals Go to the Library, where we discuss books chosen for Mental Health Awareness Month. Join us next time on Library Gals Go to the Library, where we geek out about books, movies, and more. You can email us your questions, comments, or concerns, any feedback you like, at libraryguys at delawarelibrary.org. To check out all the digital resources mentioned in today's episode, or to request any items for your reading, viewing, or listening pleasure, visit delawarelibrary.org. We'll see you soon. Thank you.